0: Good morning. Good to have you with us today. Uh, Kids, you can be dismissed. Oh, they're already on their way out. They don't really need me to tell them anything. (laughs) Uh, We are are doing something special this morning. I want to make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, We have been talking about just the conviction that we have, uh, and we've been praying for opportunities to share the gospel, to have a a greater outreach into our community, into our world, what that looks like. Uh, We are called to be missional as the church. That's true of every church. Uh, And so we are really praying about that as a church. And this morning, we are going to do that together, like at the same time. We are going to gather together uh, and pray. So what you can do right now, if you have a smartphone, which about 99% of you do, you can take it out and set your alarm for 1045, okay? Because at 1045, we are all going to stop. We'll all be in different classrooms. This is true of our kids. Our kids are going to be doing this with us, our adults in our adult classrooms. If for some reason you are unable to stay for our grow hour today, wherever you are, you can stop. You can slam on your brakes if you're driving and careen the car off to the side of the road, And pray with us. We are going to spend a few minutes just praying together for our church, for its mission, for the gospel, for opportunities to share Jesus Christ with our world. Uh, And I'm excited uh, to do that together. Sound good? So are you all setting your alarm at 1045? 1045, I want to hear beeps just going off all across this building. Okay? That'll be fun. So thank you for doing that. And those of you who are joining us from home... Set your alarm for 10:45, and even though you can't be here with us, you at home can be praying while we are all praying as a church together. So do that. I got a video to share with you this morning. Um, this partly comes because uh, our son Connor uh, did martial arts for for many years. He he ended up earning his black belt in something that was that was kind of a, a variant of. Uh, Uh, Of uh, Taekwondo, which is a Korean martial art, Um, and so uh, Taekwondo is sort of, you know, near and dear to my heart. And So when I saw this video of an up-and-coming Taekwondo champion, um, I really wanted to share this with you, because this is pretty impressive. It's board-breaking day. Ahora pisa. Para la tabla, la tabla. Va a tener alguna, una, dale, fómpela. Yeah. <laughs> yaomi, yaumi, mira. <laughs> Se cayó. <laughs> dale <laughs> por el pie, por <ponle> el pie. Duro. 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 <laughs> Ayuda, Otra vez, otra vez. ¡Ayuda! 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 Isn't that great? I love how uh, little kids are just so good at at mimicry, right? And and through the the majority of that video, it it just tickles me so much that the the little girl is very literally mimicking her instructor, right? Let's be fair. I mean, for a while, this is kind of on the instructor, you know, because that little girl was doing exactly what her instructor was doing she was yelling and placing her foot on the board, or yelling and sort of motioning toward the board, or sometimes pointing at the board, you know, when she, she wanted to point at it, and she did precisely what her instructor was doing. And kids just sort of do that naturally, you know, you ever notice that? We don't really have to tell them to do that. Kids uh, just sort of naturally take on mannerisms and, and things of the people that are around, kind of whether we want them to or not, at times. There was this time when uh, our son Connor was uh, very young. He was probably four years old. And he was driving someplace with Deborah. And so he was sitting back in his, his booster seat, you know, and, and the light turned green. And Deborah heard this voice behind her, because the car in front didn't go right away. Deborah heard this little voice behind her say, It's not going to get any greener. <laughs> 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 Now, did my sweet boy make that up? No. He heard it from us. He heard it from me and from his mother, and he adopted that. And Deborah said, oh, maybe we we need to be more patient while we drive, you know. Here's the thing. I didn't make it up either. Guess where I got it? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I got it from my parents, you know. (laughs) We're great at mimicry. And this carries over even into uh, adulthood. You, you know, we, you spend enough time around somebody and you might catch yourself adopting some of their mannerisms, talking the way they talk, laughing the way they laugh, you know. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but we, we are good at mimicry, especially if it's someone that we, we look up to. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning back to our scripture reading, back to Romans chapter 8. We are starting a brand new sermon series. If this is your first time with us, you picked kind of the perfect Sunday to be here. Uh, If this is not your first time with us, it's still a good Sunday to be here, but we're starting a brand new sermon series about what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. We use that phrase a lot, that here at Berean we are actively engaged in becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. But what does that mean? What does a fully devoted follower look like, right? And so we've got a sermon series where we're going to take that up. And this morning, as we start, we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. Now, I'll put this out there, too, that uh, as we did uh, before, uh, we have a a question and answer time uh, planned at the end of this series to wrap this up. The last time we did that, uh, we, uh, the pastors, really enjoyed doing it. Uh, You all seemed to enjoy it. It was a nice way to sort of engage with each other, during the morning service, and so we've got that planned at the end of this uh, series, and there is a landing page now. If you go to our church website, right on the front page, there's a great big link that says submit your questions here, so you can go there. Even now, if you think of things, well, what about this, Or, or it made you think of something additional from the sermon, or whatever, and we will work in as many of those as we can. We may not be able to get to all of them, but as many as we can, so take the opportunity to do that now. But in Romans chapter 8, this passage we just read, it says this, starting in verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that verse. Sometimes we we use that verse as a comfort for each other. Frankly, sometimes we probably misappropriate that verse just a little and, and use it in ways that... I don't know, perhaps aren't always helpful. But we're familiar with the verse, yeah? That in all things, God uh, works all things for good for those who love him. But there's also this this sort of future sense to that too, isn't there? There's an eschatology. We've talked about that word before. There's an eschatology that's attached to that. But the following verse says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What an incredible verse that God had as part of his plan, this sense that all those that he, he predestined to be in Jesus, that part of the, the, the goal, that part of the, the, the outcome would be that they would be conformed. To his likeness, that we would be conformed to his likeness. In the original language, I know we've talked about this before, but I want to be careful and point this out because in English, you know, it can be a little different. In the original language, it does very clearly say brothers, but I don't want you to carry over into English this idea that that just means males. That is not what it meant. See, when Paul is writing this to this ancient world, it was typically only men that would be part of an inheritance. They would inherit a portion of their their family's estate. That didn't happen for women, which is why it was so important for men and women to know that they were brothers, to know that they were sons. They were all part inheritors of Jesus Christ and of everything that he had. They were children with full privileges, not sort of children and children. They were all children with full privileges, which is why he carefully says that, that for all you, you brothers, you know, that this is one of the things. And this is sort of our, our thought for today, that being a fully devoted follower of Jesus means you look like Jesus. And this is a promise that is given in scripture now some of these passages and we're going to look at a few of them so get your get your fingers ready maybe you know lick your thumb if you're one of those people i don't like that i never liked that it always grossed me out if, if a teacher or somebody was was looking at something of mine and they did this uh, i was like oh why did you just put your spit on my paper or on my book you know so i, I don't even i don't even like that i just did it to myself well, get your fingers ready. We'll look at a few of these passages, but in this first one, there is this sense of a futureness to it, isn't there? I mean, there's this understanding that this is something that will maybe happen down the road. But hang on to that. That's not just entirely true. It isn't simply a thing that will happen. But here we're told that those that he foreknew, Bible teaches elsewhere. There are other passages that talk about the fact that God knew you personally before he created the world, before he created the universe, before anything was. He knew you. He had plans for you. He loved you. He chose you before any of that other stuff happened. I mean, talk about prehistory. But God is eternal. And those he, he foreknew, that's you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's you. Way back when, before he even said, let there be a universe, you know. He knew you. And those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And we talk a lot about his son here. We're all about Jesus here. That's why we love this word so much. Because it's in this word that we, we get to really know Jesus, to draw close to him. And Jesus is God himself. This perfect sacrifice that came and gave himself up for you, for me, for all of us, for the whole world. That we would be saved, that we would be rescued. This one who is holy and, and righteous and love and goodness and kindness, all of these things. It was God's original design before the foundation of the world, as the Bible says somewhat poetically, you know, before he even poured the footings, you know. It was part of his plan that you. Would be made to be like him. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that a, 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 an incredible and profound truth? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, to the next book down, 1 Corinthians 15. relatively long chapter. I'm going to be in verse 49. Where Paul writes this, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now this is interesting. The context of this has everything to do with resurrection. And and Paul is taking great pains here. There seem to be some within the community certainly in the city of Corinth who were sort of you know dismissing this idea of resurrection now you know there's not going to be a real resurrection and the apostle paul really carefully says yeah there is there absolutely is in fact if there isn't we're in trouble i mean much of what we believe is utter foolishness if we don't believe it's important that we believe in a real literal resurrection and so he's got this this whole context and he says in the verse before, he talks about the man of dust. Who's the man of dust? Adam, yeah. But we're all sort of, you know, his descendants. You know, when he's talking about this earthly man, this physical man, this man of dust. as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven. Who's that, just so we're clear? This is Jesus. Yep, it's okay. Some of you sounded timid when you went to answer that belt it out i mean in church 99 percent of the time the answer is jesus anyway so you know even if you're off you you know you got pretty good odds (laughs) and so as is the man of heaven so also are those who are in heaven so here again just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven again you hear in that one sort of this future sense to that though right and the Bible teaches. Paul's written elsewhere more specifically about this resurrection, about this day that we're looking forward to, about this eventuality when Jesus will return and will call home all of those who have put their their faith in Him. What what an incredible event that's going to be! You know? you know, bring them home. And one of the things that will happen is our bodies will be made new you'll be given a new body a, a transformed body one that is very different from this flesh that we're bound up in now not not that it won't be physical or that it won't be flesh but it won't share the limitations of our bodies now i mean at least my body maybe your body doesn't have any limitations mine does i find And we'll be transformed. And so, again, there's this future sense to this now. But wait till we get to this next passage, 2 Corinthians. As you might guess, 2 Corinthians comes right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to take a running start at this. Start in verse 12. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we who are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. I'll stop right there for a second, just in case you're scratching your head and saying, huh? Uh, what he's referring to there is when uh, the nation of Israel under the leadership of Moses, was traveling through Sinai. And they stopped at Mount Sinai. This is after they've been delivered from out of Egypt. And they stop at Mount Sinai. And they stopped there for some time. And part of what God did was he gave them their law. And throughout that process, Moses would go up to the top of the mountain and meet with God. God would say, okay, Moses, here's this law. I mean, can you just imagine? And it was so incredible to be in the, the immediate presence of God like that. That when Moses would come down off the mountain, he'd be glowing. His face would like be glowing. And the first time that happened, the people of Israel were really freaked out. <laughs> and so that's what this reference is here to the veil. You put this veil in front of his face so they wouldn't all panic when he came down the mountain, you know, just to sort of put everybody's minds at ease a little bit, Right. So that's what that reference is all about there, and so Moses put this veil over his face, verse fourteen. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Well, now there's a whole sermon right there, but we'll you know we'll sort of gloss over that this morning. But he says that, that veil, and there's sort of this, this sense of the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies in the temple that they had in Jerusalem, that was very similar. There's sort of this division, this divider between direct access to God and, and us, you know. He says it was only through Christ that that veil was taken away. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts I uh, have shared with, with some of you before that Deborah and I had opportunity to uh, attend. Uh, my mind just went blank. A uh, 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 Jewish service at at Temple with some of our family, and it was like this. You know, they they're reading passages as part of their service that have to do with Jesus. And we just sat there almost wanting to weep because we thought, you, this is Jesus. Don't, do, don't you understand why it's so clear to us, you know? Don't you understand who this is about? But there's this veil there, see? But, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed instantaneously. It's something that God does. You don't do, I don't do, a church doesn't do. God does this in you. That veil is taken away. When someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, verse 18, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So to a certain degree, our first reference that we looked at, and certainly the second reference that we looked at, both make this transformation out to be a future thing. But now, there's something added here. In 2 Corinthians, we see, no, 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 you see what he says, we are being transformed, like it's happening right now. This is a present tense, ongoing activity that says right now, it's happening. We are being transformed by degrees into this image. Into what looks like Jesus Christ. Because people who are fully devoted to him look more and more like him. And he says it's happening right now. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 20. Another passage I think a lot of us are really familiar with. But our citizenship is in heaven. Hallelujah. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not will be, it is now. Again, elsewhere, uh, we, we read that we have been seated presently in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. So here, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, that is from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Here again, this places it in more of an eschatological end times context. But this reminder that Jesus, A, is coming back, and B, when he does, he will transform our bodies. But we saw before, we are being transformed. And so there's sort of this as is often the case in Scripture and with things that are prophetic, this already and not yet dynamic going on. We're already being transformed, and yet at a certain point in time, we will be transformed. Right? They're both true. And Paul just reminds his readers here that's going to happen. And then Colossians chapter 3. We just left our study in Colossians. I hope you're not sick of it yet. But Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 says this, don't lie to one another, but then here's the the real power of this, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And there's that idea again of this new self which is progressively, you know, day by day, degree by degree, being changed, being shaped, being molded. Because a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like Jesus. Now, some of this just happens naturally, as it does in our earthly lives. I mean, as I pointed out, kids do this all the time. Our kids did it. You see kids, you know, mimic people. Sometimes they get a little older and they start to, to idolize, you know, maybe a professional athlete. I heard a story not too long ago where, where a, a father was watching a son play basketball, and I, I won't remember the professional basketball player now, but his son was playing basketball and, and he did something great and he... He did something. You know, he, he reacted a, a certain way that was kind of unique, and his dad said, where'd you get that from? He said, it was from so-and-so player. He saw his favorite player do it, and so he was going to do it. He made whatever same, you know, gesture out of celebration. I mean, we just sort of naturally do this, don't we? But I think part of what's great about this is that we don't just naturally do this. To a very great degree, what Scripture teaches is this is being done to us. So many of those verbs are very passive on our part. In Greek, a, a passive verb is this thing that's it's just happening to me. Why? Because God's doing it. And that's what he says is this is a, 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 a God action. It's happening right now whether you're aware of it or not. And yet, Scripture teaches that there are things that we can do to be aware of this. And so, at the end of the day, this is really our take-home, that a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like Jesus. And what you're going to see is that By and large, the vast majority of all the rest of the sermons that come in this series are all going to be further fleshing out of this. I mean, when we talk about the fact that a fully devoted follower is obedient, well, we can immediately talk about the fact that Jesus was obedient. When we talk about the fact that a fully devoted follower loves, I mean, that's sort of the point, because Jesus loves. And so we're going to continue to talk about this in just slightly more granular detail over and over and over, and and really drill down and talk about what this means with more and more specificity. But to start with, at the highest level, this is really the key. This is sort of the, the theme statement for this entire series as we go through it, is that a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like... Jesus for the old world this along with this word disciple would have been really really understandable to them because as it turns out we didn't make up you know kids mimicking people who were I mean we all do it they did it too but in their society it was maybe a bit more common to to really be attached to someone as their disciple in particular, in the Jewish world, you know, sometimes you would, you would have a rabbi and you would become a disciple of that rabbi. And some rabbis might have taught things that were slightly different from other rabbis. And so you could tell whose disciple a person was by the beliefs that they held. You could tell whose disciple they were based on what sort of sayings that they used and worked into conversation. You might have even been able to tell whose disciple they were based on uh, the sort of clothes that they wore and the sort of gestures that they made. This was really common and understood. And so to attach yourself to someone was going to mean that you were going to begin to look like them. Just like when we talk about being disciples of Jesus followers of Jesus that's again what that word Christian means it's really a word that that means fairly literally in Greek Christ one one who is a follower of Christ is a Christian one who is a disciple of Christ is a Christian and so some of this ought to happen really naturally but some of it Is happening in us and in you. So what do we do with all this? I mean, what on earth do we do, especially since there's a large part of this that seems to be outside of our control? Well, I've got a couple things. Number one, number one, kids, adults, whoever it is, they more and more take on the characteristics of, the mannerisms of, the speech of, whoever it is that they're around, the more that they're around them. Do you understand? That's why our kids are most likely to sort of act like us, especially when they're very little, because they're around us all the time, right? But the more and more you spend, the more and more time you spend around someone, the more you will look like them and think like them and talk like them and behave like them which is why it's really important that we spend as much time as possible around Jesus isn't it i know pastor one it's like of course pastor's going to say we should probably pray more we should read our bibles more don't roll your eyes at me <laughs> we should I mean, I I know we talk about it a lot, but there's a good reason for that. It's because in this, we are spending time with Jesus, aren't we? How can we be Christ-like? How can we be like Jesus, look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, when we're never around Jesus? It's what's so great about being part of his church, about being here together when we're with fellow believers who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're all talking about faith, as we did last week on Proclamation Sunday, where we're talking about what God is doing in our lives. We're encouraging each other. We're just soaking it all up. If you are not around Jesus much, you won't look much like him. You understand? This is just sort of natural. And so number one, I encourage you, to spend as much time as possible with Jesus. You can do it in his word. You can do it in prayer. You can do it in his church. But the more you do that, the more this happens. That's what being a devoted follower, a fully devoted follower. And, and as we go on, we'll continue to look at that. You know, there are followers of Jesus, and then there are fully devoted followers of Jesus. And those things aren't always the same. But a fully devoted follower of Jesus finds ways to be around Jesus. Hallelujah. And to whatever degree we do that, there's this natural outcome that we begin to look like jesus but again as scripture teaches there's a lot of this that is just being in done in us as well Well, what do we do about that i think the second key thing we can do in order to help this happen i want to go way back to luke if you would we saw this in the colossians passage we just looked at too This idea, but if you want to go back to Luke chapter nine. Verse twenty-three. Jesus said some hard things. (laughs) When you get into to what Jesus taught, what he said, it wasn't all placating people and trying to be as attractive as possible, really trying to market himself. That's not what Jesus' ministry looked like. It's not what his leadership looked like. In uh, verse 23 of Luke chapter 9, he says something really tough. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself or even fairly literally die to himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. The Roman Empire didn't invent crucifixion for Jesus. It was around before. I mean, this might seem like a strange thing to say that maybe the people listening to him would have said, take up your cross, what does that mean? Well, they, they knew what it meant. It may not have been done really, really frequently, but it was done. And they understood that when a criminal had been sentenced to death by crucifixion, there was this thing that happened whereby they would pick up their cross, their own tool of execution, and carry it out to the place outside of town where this was going to happen. So that when you saw somebody, if you just happened to be out doing your shopping and you heard some commotion and you wondered what was going on and then you saw somebody walking up the road carrying a cross, you knew immediately what that meant. That was a one-way trip. And Jesus calls on any that would follow him to do that. To pick up a cross to deny yourself, to to die to yourself. But then do you notice he sneaks in these extra couple words, every day, daily. Do this every day. And this, in conjunction with the passage we looked at in Colossians about taking off the old self. We talked about this before, but this idea of of, uh, putting it in visual terms of of a, a garment or a set of clothes, even. You know, he says, take off the old self, put it in the bin, you know, and put on the new self, which is Jesus Christ. This is very similar here. Jesus says, deny yourself, die to self, and take up a cross. But you know what's brilliant about that? Is it, it, there's not just deny yourself, because what Jesus says in the verse immediately following, he says, for whoever, verse 24, would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Why? Because when we take off that old self, we get to put on a new self. Hallelujah. But we're also reminded, this is a, Jesus says, a daily decision. Maybe even hourly Whereby we stop and say, wait, wait, it's time to do kind of a checkup here. Have I taken off that old self with its selfishness and its greed and its lust and its hatred and its Am I am I taking that off? Or did one of those ratty old socks find its way on my foot again, you know? Do I need to take it off again and put on Jesus. And we are taught that even though this is a supernatural thing that is currently happening in you, that there is still this sense that you are called to take off that old self. And so that's the second thing. The first thing is spend as much time around Jesus as humanly possible. The second thing is to check often, at least daily, Work that into your routine. Work that into your schedule. Maybe it's while you eat breakfast. Maybe it's while you drive in your car. Maybe it's the first time you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. You crawl out of bed, and, uh, you know. But to work in someplace, okay i got to remind myself again, I need to check again, because this old self, these old habits, these old garments, they keep sneaking in. What can I do to remove that old, to put on the new? What can I do to deny myself, to die to myself today, right now, and gain my whole life through Jesus Christ? Because a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like Jesus. And as it turns out, there are things that you and I can do to either hinder that process or to help that process. Praise God that this is a supernatural thing that God does in you and I. But there are also things that you and I can do, that you and I are called on to do, like spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ, like continually checking up with ourselves and saying i got to take off that old again and put on the new this is what it means to be not just a a follower of Jesus certainly not just in name but to in reality be a fully devoted follower of Jesus who looks like Jesus our father god We thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement that, God, it's not only in our future to be transformed, but it's in our present. That's something that's happening right now. Father, we praise you for that. But God, we also recognize that as followers of Jesus, as disciples of His, that we do this to greater or lesser degree sometimes. Sometimes we're not hanging around Jesus a whole bunch, and so maybe we don't look an awful lot like Him. Help us to spend more time with Jesus. Lord, help us to just soak you up. Help us to daily, maybe more frequently than daily, even to make this decision, as we see from Luke, to to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, to to say, Here I am again. I got to take this old off and put on the new. God, we don't want to just be followers of Jesus. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And I praise you even for the encouragement that that is a progressive thing. God, you haven't called us to go from zero to 100 in one day. You've maybe called us today to go from zero to one and tomorrow to go from one to two. It's this progression. We thank you for your mercy and your patience with us. But to whatever degree we can help that process, We pray that we would be doing that as we are becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. Father, for all those who who may be with us, whether online, whether in the room with us, wherever, who haven't yet accepted this simple gospel truth that Jesus came to save sinners, that he came to rescue us, to draw us to God, because we couldn't do that ourselves. You are too utterly perfect and holy. We needed help. And we thank you that you loved us enough to give us that help. That in Jesus Christ, we have salvation as a free gift because of what you've already done. If there's anyone here today that hasn't accepted that, that free gift is already yours. All you need to do is take it. In simple faith, to trust Jesus. Father, we thank you for your time. We love you. And we pray you continue to mold us and shape us. In Christ's name, amen.